Well, we're almost wrapping up uh, our sometime study in the book of Hebrews. We're on Hebrews chapter 13 uh, this week at verses 15 through 19 as we examine this inspired portion of Scripture together. Hebrews 13 verses 15 to 19. Hear the inspired and inerrant Word of God. Through Him then... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, For that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Amen. May God bless that reading of his holy word to us. Let's pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we ask now that your word, which is true and sure, would be opened and applied to heart and life. Your spirit has given these words, and so we ask now that they might be driven deeply into our hearts and into our consciences and lives, that they indeed might transform us more and more after the image of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, the long feast is over. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, I think all the ham and all the turkey are gone. And it's back to roast beef and tuna casserole. The year of our Lord 2015 has begun. And we're all wondering, what will this new year bring? Everyone in Houston wants to know when oil prices are going to go back up. Everybody else is worried about When are they going to start running for president? And how many of those advertisements do we have to watch or listen to? More quickly, we will get the answer to that important question. Will the ducks or the buckeyes reign supreme? That's only a few days away. But inquiring minds want to know these things. But providence only chooses to show us one card one moment at a time. We don't know what the future holds, the old adage says, but we know who holds the future. And indeed, that's true and good for us to be reminded of at the beginning of every year. But I can assure you that 2015 will be a year of Christian living for you. You have 365 mornings on which to rise and shine and live to His glory should He tarry. You have 52 mornings and evenings on which to gather with his people for corporate public worship and together to sing the praise of his name. And you will have countless divine appointments with God in which to share his gospel, uh, to teach his truth in those teachable moments, and to show his love one for another. This will be a year of wonderful opportunities for you. And it will be a year 
of continual sacrifice as you serve the Lord. The Christian life is like that, you know. It's a life of little sacrifices. And our text this morning talks just about that. That the Christian life is a life of sacrifice. Now, the way the author explains this truth to us is by way of application. You know, there are a lot of different ways in which the Bible teaches. Uh, Sometimes it gives a broad principle, and then we get specifics deduced directly from that principle already stated. Other times, it's like uh, so many diamonds or so many pearls that are laid on the table one after another, and we can see in their glimmer the principle behind them, and the relevance to our life. Uh, This morning, our text is like that. It's not three points of poem and a prayer. There's not a Trinitarian structure to this passage. I apologize. It's it's got four points, but we'll, we'll try to get through. But all of these teach us about the little sacrifices that the Lord calls us to in this year. The first little sacrifice that you and I are called to is to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Verse 15 says, Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Here we're told that life in 2015 is going to be all about divine worship, all about worshiping the Lord. And so we have the wise men who teach us an important lesson. You remember them. Uh, They brought gifts to the baby Jesus. You know, the blown-up Santa Claus on a sleigh, he's gone from the house around the corner from where I live, but the three wise men are still there, and they're still holding that gold and frankincense and myrrh. I'm going to be interested to see how many more days after January 1st they remain. Matthew tells us that they traveled from the east, perhaps from eastern Persia, or even farther east from that. They brought those three gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and God in his providence used those gifts that they brought to the baby Jesus to help fund and facilitate the flight of the Holy Family and of the divine Messiah incarnate himself into Egypt where he was protected protected from the sword which came and struck Bethlehem, killing all the little children. Oh, the Lord had prophesied it long ago in the Old Testament. And so it had to happen, but he sheltered and shielded his son. They were made able to go into Egypt on flight because of these gifts. But why? Why did the wise men come and and what exactly were they after? Were they after knowledge or power or influence? No doubt their, their motives were complex because the text tells us they were, they were wise guys. They were smart fellows. They were full of a lot of motives and thoughts. But providence set them on their course, and they traveled far. Matthew tells us they followed a star, and they arrived at the place where the baby lay, and they worshipped him. And our text this morning does exactly the same thing. It leads us to exactly the same place. We are called in this new year, you are called, to come and to worship the Lord. Now, there are many things you're going to do in 2015. 
You can begin making your list this weekend so that you're ready for the new year. You're going to work and learn. You're going to grow. You're going to drive and shop. You're going to eat. You're going to think and write. You're going to love and care and dream. And you're going to cry. That's what life in a fallen world is like. But the most important thing that you're going to do, our text is reminding us, the most important thing is that you're going to go and praise the Lord. You're going to go and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are going to praise His name. That's your top priority. But the worship that you bring is not vaguely any old thing that kind of suits you. You must give praise through His Son, the author tells us. Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Here the author is tipping the hat in principle to what he has already revealed earlier in the text. He's reminding us that our access to worship in Christian worship comes only in a Trinitarian way to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. You see, it's not like on one of those episodes of Gilligan's Island, you might remember, where uh, they discover some native person who's lost on the other side of the island and, and they take fruit, grain, and a wood hand-carved bowl and lay it before the great uh, rock in which a face or a statue has been carved. You know, uh, my relatives used to do that, I think. They were from Scotland, and, and there are all these standing stones around the country, and, and some of them got carved into places of Christian preaching and worship once uh, our families got saved. But, you know, back in the earlier generations, I have a sneaking suspicion they brought grain and animals and probably sacrificed vestal virgins and did all kinds of horrible things in those misty moors of Scotland. But my point is, is that none of us have a lot to brag about if we dig deep enough in our roots. We all go back to the hard, same hardcore pagan reality in need of the gospel. And the good news is, is that the gospel has come to our little world here in Texas and that we have come to hear and to love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The way we learn to approach God is through that gospel in the only way that's possible, not by pushing our way in and doing things the way that we like. We worship God through His Son, through His Son incarnate, through the one mediator between God and man, through the blood of Christ on Calvary we come. You see, our sins block the way. The way was not open to us. But He has broken down that barrier He has ushered us into the presence of His heavenly Father as forgiven sinners, as adopted sons and daughters of the King. Oh, we do not try to come in our own pride and in our own right. You see, that won't work in 2015 even any better than it did in the years before. You must come ushered in by Christ and by faith in Him. You must come under His blood and robed in His righteousness, trusting in Him alone for your salvation. 
You need Jesus to worship Him aright. And so He bids you to come. And to come giving thanks to His name. Verse 15 tells us, Through Him then let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Now that doesn't mean just saying the right combination of syllables. That doesn't mean that we walk in the door of the sanctuary and cry out, God, or or Lord, or Yahweh, or, or this name or that. No, when God tells us to come and acknowledge His name, we're acknowledging who He is through His name and all that He has done for us. We come blessing His name and thanking His name because, you see, He has created you. He has sustained you. And has He not carried you in years past through thick and thin? He has humbled you. He has brought you to a point where you have seen your need of a Savior and He has provided salvation in in His Son, and He has changed you from the inside out, if indeed you have trusted in Him. He has done everything necessary to secure your salvation and life eternal in fellowship with Him. And so we come, praising His name, giving thanks to Him for everything. And in that approach, you will know this year the true joy of Christian worship as He shapes and molds your heart to be more like His Son, the Son of His love. Oh, that's the first little sacrifice that He calls on you to make to gather in worship and in praise of His name. And the second little sacrifice is like unto it that He calls you to. In verse 16, he tells you to do good and share. It says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, verses 15 and 16 are linked by the language of sacrifice. One is the sacrifice of lips, the sacrifice of praise in the words that we say and sing. The other is a sacrifice of substance where we give up of ourselves Trusting God for the future, and so honoring Christ Jesus, our Lord. Why is it that we should do good and share? Do we do do good for good's sake? Are we do-gooders in that sense? Well, strictly speaking, the Christian answer is no. No, we're not do-gooders for do-gooding's sake, because that's not what the Scriptures require of us. God God does not even do good just for do-gooding's sake. God lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust, God blesses and heals the nations because of His great program of salvation, which brings Him praise. He, the God of providence, is the same God who is the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so He accomplishes our salvation. And every aspect of living that we experience and goodness of God comes under His covenant love. And so, you see, he saves us. Not to be isolated Christian individuals all locked up by ourselves in a closet. We're not individual marbles set in the middle of a table that have nothing to do with anything else. No, rather we are cells in the body of Christ. We are 
part of that body together. United to Christ Jesus our Lord by faith and by the Spirit, we therefore find ourselves in that one head and husband united to each other. And so we have to do with one another as fellow believers, if indeed we trust in Christ. Life together is life together in Christ. Now it's true. When the author of the epistle to the Hebrews tells us to do good and to share one with another in the bounds of the church, he's commanding us to do something that's going to cost us. You know, I remember my Uncle Bill. Now, Uncle Bill was a character, and there's a lot about Uncle Bill that we really shouldn't talk about. But but Uncle Bill was a character who knew how to be kind to kids. He didn't have any children of his own. And every time our family would go visit... I was so excited because I knew it wouldn't be long before I heard these words. Want to go for a ride? And we would go out into the garage and get in his big black Buick. I mean, you know, we only had Chevrolets. He had a Buick and it was shiny and it smelled nice. And and we got in that vehicle and every single time we seemed to go to the same place. Whether, Whether his wife asked us to go get a loaf of bread or a gallon of milk or run an errand, Every time along the way, he would stop off at the filling station. And he would take me inside to that most coveted item in every old filling station that your parents and grandparents have seen. That golden box of frozen ice cream delight. You know, it's the one that uh, when I went to the filling station with mom or dad, we would kind of look at it, but we wouldn't touch. We wouldn't even dare to look in and dream very much because our family just didn't do the ice cream thing at the filling station. But Uncle Bill, he would say, go get any one you like. And I would go and I would look and, and I would imagine how this might taste or that. And then I would pick one. And, and you know, every time Uncle Bill paid. He never stuck me with the bill. He always bought that popsicle or ice cream and paid for it. Doing good cost him. But doing good is sometimes worth the price. You see, God is pleased when his children who were adopted into the family of God that he has made in Christ Jesus our Lord, share one with another. Do you remember the words of Jesus? When he said, if you've done it to one of the the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. In this next year, we will have an opportunity and occasion to practice this art And this little sacrifice together as a congregation. You will have the privilege of opportunity to sacrifice time and talent and treasure to meet need within the body of Christ. There will be occasions to fix meals one for another or to help those who do. There will be occasion where your knowledge and your advice and your insight can be of strategic importance to help another member of the body of Christ. And you will sacrifice your time and what you know to help them. We will even step up and and help supply diaconal emergency need within the congregation to those 
who find themselves in true need. You see, that's what we do together as the body of Christ in this place. Our goal is not to do welfare for welfare's sake, but rather our goal is strategic love that seeks to honor Christ and do good rather than harm. God is glorified and His Son is honored as we live in this way. That's the second little sacrifice this year that the Lord calls us to, the sacrifice of worship and then secondly, the sacrifice of doing good and sharing. The third little sacrifice is one that's not as easy to talk about. It's one that's a little harder to grapple with because of the context in which we live. The third little sacrifice is in verses 17. And it speaks to us about obeying leaders and submitting to them. Submit to your leaders, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews tells us. And when he uses the words obey and submit, he uses language which grates on our nerves, if not on our ears. You know, in truth, This is not an isolated verse that you can pick out and make mean anything you want it to by inflicting foreign meanings upon those words. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. There's no such thing as an unregulated authority in the Bible. There are limits to what any leadership can ask or demand. And so, as we compare Scripture with Scripture, we learn what this text means and what it does not mean. Think about that for a moment. There's no such thing as unregulated authority. A parent does not have rightly the power of life and death over their child. Child spills milk at breakfast, gets me angry, so I smack them and kill them and shut them up in little bits and send them out the door. No. Then you go to jail. And rightly so. There is no unregulated authority. A husband does not have unregulated authority over a wife. The civil magistrate does not have unregulated authority over its subjects. Even a king has no such rightful power from God. There are limits and extents defined by a sovereign God and a true and righteous God over every place and station in this life. And so we come to this text offering slavish devotion and unregulated obedience to no man, not even a king, but those duly appointed to care for our souls and through the due use of ordinary means, we do give respect and honor where due. Perhaps for our generation, it might be more helpful to remind ourselves that the substance of this means that to God-appointed leadership, we freely choose to defer. And we do so in spite of them and in spite of ourselves. Because, you know, i got news for you. I'm a sinner, and you're a sinner. We're all sinners in this place. Every pastor, every elder, every deacon, every member, we all are broken 
and in need of the forgiveness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, church leadership is not perfect. You know, you can ask the wife of any member of the session, and they'll be happy to tell you their husband's not perfect, and you're not perfect either. You know, sometimes your thoughts, your thoughts rebel against you and your feelings boil, but God is the one who gives grace and peace to heart and mind. The fact that we are united together in Christ our Lord by the bond of the Holy Spirit means there's hope and there's grace and peace for each and every one who trusts in Him. We can face the day and even that hard and strong task of living together in shalom because of the power and work of the Holy Spirit. And remember why leaders are there and what they're for. You see, they keep watch over you, over your souls, we're told in verse 17. Your pastors and your elders are supposed to tend the flock. Now, not everyone has the same style or or habit or way of doing that. Some visit house to house more frequently, while others call or text or respond more quickly to an emergency. But all the way through, they are called to show Christian love and care and concern. Maybe not always expressed as you would most likely want it, but yet it is there, and I'm here to testify it's real and it's worthy of note and thanks to God. You see, those that lead and, and watch over your souls, they are those who, we are told, will have to give an account, not just to one another, not just to wider groups of elders like in Presbytery, but most fundamentally to the Lord. You know, there are a lot of things I'm looking forward to when the Lord comes back. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to more hair and less weight. I'm looking forward to that mansion that he's talked about. I want to see what that looks like in the new heavens and new earth. The kind of streets of gold and fellowship together. I'm, I'm very excited about But But this particular verse uh, does not uh, make my heart beat faster out of expectation. It's a sober realization that one day we give an account for how we have used the gifts that we have been given and hopefully we have sought to use them to His glory. Oh, we keep watch over souls, but we give an account. And so in this sense, the shoe is firmly on our foot and we have responsibility. But at the same time, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews tells us that we should recognize that leadership either has joy or grief in leading and shepherding the flock. And so we have to ask the question, which will it be? Will it be joy or grief? Will it be easy or hard? Will they be pulling and kicking and biting? Or will they be fellowship one with another? You remember that old home adage, don't you? Every, every boy here needs to learn this, every husband too. A happy wife is a happy life. That's generally true. And it also applies to sessions. Go out of your way with love and patience towards all. Thank God there's not just one of them. We don't have prelacy in this place. There's not a demigod who 
props himself up and tries to fool all of us into thinking that we must bow down. Only Christ is the one to whom we bow down and worship. And he has appointed in his providence a set of leaders to encourage you and to be a blessing to you and for you to encourage and be a blessing to. And in your encouragement, that burden indeed is light. So that's the fourth little sacrifice that we're called to together in 2015, that we should defer to leadership as is biblically right and as they are tending to our souls. And then there's a final, a fourth and final thing which is highlighted in the text. It's in verses 18 and 19. And the little sacrifice we're called to here brings these two sets of things together. We are called to remember to pray, the sacrifice of prayer. Now, the funny thing about these verses is we don't know who the first person is. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So now we come near the end of the book of the epistle to the Hebrews, asking the same questions we did when we started. Who? wrote this book. Oh, there have been a lot of names given down through the years as a human author. Paul, some people think it was a sermon from Paul. I'm fairly partial to that actually myself, but uh, New Testament scholars would shake their head at me. Uh, Was it Barnabas or Silas? Or maybe it's from the pen of Timothy. We, We just are not told in the text. What we do know is who the divine author is the Holy Spirit, and that's why it's here in the canon. But the reality is, is that whoever penned these words is speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and so they are asking for the sacrifice of prayer from those to whom the epistle is addressed. They're asking for that wider congregation to pray for them, and they're asking for that prayer in good conscience. Not that they can angle and get an advantage or somehow pick their pocket and enrich themselves through them. No, they're asking in good conscience. They're asking, verse 18 says, out of honorable conduct for the prayers of the Lord's people for them and the ministry that the Lord has set them to. And they also show that that is mixed together with that sweet sugar of love, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Whoever the human author is, the Holy Spirit moves him to say, in effect, I love you and I want to be with you. Pray for me so that we can have sweet Christian fellowship together again. And that's the final little sacrifice that we are all called to in principle. To pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, even in the individual lives of leaders the Lord gives. In 2015, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews wants you to worship, and he wants you to do good, and he wants you to defer to biblical leadership, and he wants you to pray 
for it as well. These are some of the little sacrifices the Lord is calling you to this year. And so you and I are left with one simple question. Will we? Let's pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we pray that you would help us and aid us to give the sacrifice of praise, uh, the sacrifice of care, uh, that we might show deference where deference is due and that we might redouble our prayer efforts one for another. Help us, O oh God, we pray, to live in this Christ-like way in 2015. All to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.